Welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, presented by Roast House Pub and Idiom Brewing Company in Frederick, Maryland, as well as Havoc Brew Supply, the one-stop shop for all of your brewery's needs. Check them out at hophavoc.com. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I'm in Baltimore, Maryland at the beautiful Sagamore Spirits, joined by co-founder and president Brian Tracy. Thanks for having me out, Brian. Thanks for coming out and, uh, and giving us this opportunity. This place is absolutely beautiful. And <clears throat> another observation I had, which thank you for the tour and getting to see everything, is it's awesome how happy everyone was to see you as you were walking <laughs> through. Like, it's, it's always nice when, like, you see employees happy to see the guy in charge. Well, uh, I work with the greatest people I've ever met, and uh, I'm very, very fortunate to work with them. Everybody here brings value. Everybody matters, and um, we wouldn't exist without them. And so I'm just thankful to work with them every single day. Yeah, it was just it was it was just something I noticed, and it was like that's awesome. Like everyone was genuinely happy to say hi to you, and it, it was great. Maybe it's because it's Friday. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or they're just happy it's the end of the week, and then no matter who they saw, they're <laughs> yeah, right. They're like put on a smile. Here he comes. <laughs> and another thing that as Leading up to this, where I listened to a couple interviews and read some things, is that I love about Sagamore is that everything has a story. Like you, there is a succinct story for everything with Sagamore, and I think that's so important for a brand. So I, I love that. Like so, I think maybe the first story I'll have you tell is the significance of the bottles and the the labeling, because that was one of the coolest connections I thought yeah uh, we definitely want to have a rhyme and reason and thought behind everything that we do it matters and so the bottle itself is obviously very uniquely shaped and for good reason and so one of the things if you may have noticed when you were in the visitor center we had this display of glass yeah it's beautiful yeah and like you look at that glass that's all the glass from like the 1800s and you say to yourself, man, they made really beautiful glass in the 17 and 1800s. And then what happened? You know, we yeah. just got like into this like simplistic round bottle, which not to knock it or anything, but I just think like there was just something about the glass and the efforts that they made. It kind of went from like uh, artistry to just functionality. Exactly. And I get that. Like I totally get that from a cost perspective and, and everything in between. Um, but there's a great history of distilling in Maryland. And I think the unique shape of our bottle connects us to that history. And so a lot of the bottles back in the day were definitely uniquely shaped, beautiful, different. And we happened to see a couple that were really inspiring. There's a great art museum here in Baltimore, if you ever get a chance to visit, called Walter's Museum. And a lot of the artwork and so forth and the money that came from that, that museum came from the history of distilling rye whiskey and Walter's rye. And in the 1800s, 1890, had this beautiful six-sided bottle that said Walters on one side and, and Baltimore on the other side and thought that was just beautiful that they could make that bottle in the 1800s. You know, why can't we do that today? Yeah. And our logo is the three diamonds, which we get from our farm, Sagamore Farm, and said, what if we kind of shaped our bottle like the diamonds and kind of embossed it down the side, similar to the Walters bottle, and kind of tipped our hat to the folks before us and gave them some props and said kind of old meets new 
and kind of, uh, you know, thank you for the great tradition that you started and the legacy you left us and, and gave them some credit for that. And so that's kind of the reasoning behind our bottle uh, that, that got us to this unique shape today is kind of a combination of our, of our three diamond logo and the folks before us. So, and there, there, I mean, there are plenty of whiskey brands that when you look, you like, you, you know, that's what it is, but, and this bottle definitely falls right into that. You're not going to see, even if, if you took the labels off of all those, you're going to look at it and be like, oh, that's a Sagamore bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've looked on uh, people's websites or, you know, Instagram or whatever. And I'm like, and the bottle does pop. And the big rye logo, yeah. you know, and I'm like always zooming in, like, can I see our bottle? Is that our bottle? <laughs> <laughs> so where did the name um, Sagamore come from? So it comes from our farm. Um, we have a farm that's about 22 miles north of our distillery uh, in Baltimore County. Sagamore Farm, founded in 1925 by the Vanderbilt family. It was famous for thoroughbred horse racing. Had a really, really great run uh, with thoroughbreds, especially in the 50s. Native Dancer was really the horse, horse of the 50s. Um, one of the first animals ever on the front cover of Time Magazine. Ed Sullivan and, and Native Dancer were the two most popular personalities on TV in 1954. And in 2008 and 2011, every horse in the Kentucky Derby's bloodline could be traced back to Native Dancer. Oh, wow. And he's born and raised and buried on our farm. And so really great history. Maryland is famous for thoroughbreds and horse, horses and horse country. And so that's, that's really where our farm got started, but it's evolved um, to, to really kind of meet more what we're trying to do today. And that is, you know, taking a modern approach to making whiskey today in that now it's more of a place for retired horses. So we've got about 16 horses out there that just kind of live and enjoy their lives versus we used to have upwards of 80 or so thoroughbreds that were on there, you know, four or five years ago. But when we got started, one of the things we wanted to do is source local grain and found out that's a lot harder than you think. And rye is extremely difficult to grow. Farmers only get paid typically as a cover crop. So they have to till it back into the earth. And do you know what aspect of growing it is difficult or is it just that it is uh, finicky. I it's guess. finicky. Like I think what it, I've talked to folks about it, and it's actually uninsurable in Maryland. Like you can't insure it, so you could lose everything. Okay, so other crops you can't insure. You can't insure. Okay, so that, and, and so the farmers don't, rightfully so, want to touch something they can't insure and yeah. say, "I put all this effort into it, and I lost everything due to whatever reason." And so. And then when you talk to folks, you say, well, why is it uninsurable? And they go, well, because no one really grows it, so we have no data on it. We don't know what to expect. Like, what's the average yield over 10 years? Like, do we typically lose it? Is it, is it how sustainable is it? You know, they, they just don't have these, these data points. And it's, it's actually considered um, an exotic crop. And so, That's great, especially because it, it, like, it is a synonymous with Maryland. Like Maryland yeah. rye is a... Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's the reason we have Maryland rye is we grew yeah. a lot of rye <laughs> grain at some point, right? And so... Was it, it was the number one crop. Like, outside of tobacco. For, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so crazy. Absolutely. And so it's just one of these things where you sit there and go, okay. And so we started 
reaching out to farmers and saying, would you like to join us on this project? And obviously there was some hesitation because of the risk. And so we said, what if we go ahead and buy the seed up front, share that risk with you as a partnership, kind of a shared value and be like, we're in this together. It's yeah. not just you. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And we'll hold you to a quality standard, but not a yield per acre. And we kind of 50,000 pounds our first year, which was really exciting. And four years later and well, five years later and four farms later, including now our own farm, Sagamore Farm, where we get 100% of our own non-GMO corn and a lot of rye. Last year, we harvested over a million pounds of Maryland-grown rye. And so we're really excited about seeing this project evolve and where it's going and being able to control everything from start to finish. That is That was one of the <clears throat> coolest takeaways from when you were giving me the tour, I thought it was like everything just about starts and ends at the farm here. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you grow the grain, you get the proofing water from the the um, limestone uh, aquifer. So yep. um, <clears throat> then the spent, spent grain goes back to the farm to feed the horses. <laughs> and and the, the rick house, one of the rick houses is on the farm. It's like there's a, it's like a constant flow between the farm and here and then eventually out to all of us to enjoy. Yeah, this, the farm is the epicenter of everything we do. And um, it's the inspiration. And sometimes it's just great to even go up there and work for a day because it's, it's so amazing and beautiful. And, and, the, and the team that's up at the farm taking care of it day in and day out, it's a tremendous amount of work. And I knew nothing about farming coming into this. And I'm going to tell you, I still don't know much about farming other than it takes a lot of dedicated people that just love what they do day in and day out to make a farm work. It, my grandfather had a, I think it's referred to as a gentleman. He was a gentleman's farmer because it was, it was just his hobby. He worked for General Motors and he always <laughs> wanted a farm. So he, he bought a farm, he raised some cattle and grew corn and stuff. It, like even just that small 40 acre farm was a, a tremendous amount of work. Yeah, I, I think it's, but it's rewarding. Right, like to be able oh, to yeah, do he that. He loved it. I mean, it was it's passion. Yeah, and you think today, I mean, people I don't think realize without farmers. I mean, obviously we know we don't have food and so many things, but we don't have beer. We don't. <laughs> we don't have whiskey. We, there's so many things. We, we don't have all the things we really know, want in life. I know, right? <laughs> and so it's just like next time you see a farmer, thank them. So, <clears throat> you uh, Sagamore is focused purely on rye whiskey. Uh, is that the tent? Well, I guess not purely because you have the ready. Uh, ready to go cocktails, but although they're rye based, um, do you have plans to like do bourbons or any other whiskeys, or is Sagamore rye only? Uh, we're laser focused on rye, and that's you know we got a great history in Maryland. We think it's an amazing category to be in. We don't think anybody actually owns it yet, so we think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there, and we kind of come from like just. Our methodology here, you know, for Sagamore is we want to do one thing. We want to be great at one thing. And if we do a lot of things, it's hard to be great at one thing. Yeah. So we want to just concentrate on doing one thing. And so we're laser focused on rye whiskey right now. I don't know where we are in 30 years from now, I, but right now I, I know where we are for the next five or 10 years. And it's rye. When rye seems to be just a segment that's growing in popularity. So maybe it gets there just with bourbon because... I mean, what it was really hasn't been that that long that there was the huge bourbon craze, right? Yeah, I'd say we're about 
maybe 10 years into it, right? And these yeah. things typically have 20, 30 year cycles. And so when you look at that and you look at the American whiskey category, which basically bourbon and rye, rye is only about 5% of that category. And so you think about the opportunity. Now, most folks to get to rye will come via bourbon uh, eventually. So th there's an interesting journey for the whiskey consumer and our ready to drink cocktails, our premium can cocktails are kind of poised to help accelerate that, if you will. Yeah. Um, but we think, you know, we're, we're on the front of the wave of potentially, you know, people talk bourbon. They're going to eventually talk rye. And then at least on your home base, like if there's anything Marylanders love, it's something from Maryland. So just the, the fact that it's made from Maryland rye and, and is made in Maryland is going to. And if you squint a little bit, you, it looks like you have a part of the Maryland flag on on your bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, we always like, listen, we're we are so thankful for the folks here in Maryland because Maryland does love Maryland. And they're so supportive of small local businesses. So I wonder, is there any, I mean, maybe Texas. Texas. It, like, <laughs> I, I, was just, I can't think of any other state that loves the state nearly as, like, like there are other states where like 50% of the people have the flag of the state <laughs> on their car in some form. Yeah. It's basically, which is interesting, it's Texas and Maryland. I'm not sure what to think of that. But like, and yeah, you like, you called out our uh, capsule, we called the the Baltiflage, kind of like, uh, kind of like that Baltimore kind of pattern. Um, so the very first product was the. On the left there is our straight, our signature straight rye whiskey. Okay, and that was the first first release. And first, when when did Sagamore open? So we launched our first product ever on Friday, May thirteenth, two thousand sixteen. We're coming up on an anniversary. We are. We are. And so we're excited for that, obviously. It's, it's a big moment. And so that's why every Friday, we call every Friday Friday, Friday Friday. <laughs> you know, you work all week, you deserve a good ride, whiskey. And then, you know, when it lands on uh, Friday the 13th or Friday the 13th, it's kind of our, our holiday, if you will, because <laughs> uh, that's the day we launched. And so I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was such an unbelievable moment because it just takes so long to bring these things to life. So that was the first product we ever launched. It's our workhorse. It's, you know, over 60, almost 70% of our sales. And then you have a double oak in the middle there. You have a cash strength. And then it looks like at the top, they gave you our new reserve release, our eight-year-old. And then our, uh, our friend Braden Bumpers told me to make sure I ask you to try that. Because <laughs> I guess they, there was, he was at something like the uh, expo in Ocean City. Oh, he was he? He didn't have that there. Oh, okay. And he was like, I really wanted to try it. So make sure you get to try that. <laughs> well, I like Braden a lot. We'll send you back a little something for him. <laughs> and then um, our unique um, distillery only, uh, distillery exclusive, so only available distillery, our wood stove finish which we did with Monument Brewing. Okay. Oh, yeah, because they have the their wood stoves. That, so wh what's the partnership there? How's that work? They've been great. Um, we love, obviously, working with other local businesses like Bordy and so and forth. Ken and Matt are two of the greatest people in the world. Really good I people. I love Ken. Yeah, really good people. <laughs> and so we'll go ahead and dump our freshly dumped rye barrels, hand them over to wood stove. They'll put their, uh, excuse me, Monument, and they'll put their wood stove imperial stout inside that. And I, I apologize, but I forget how long they leave that beer in that barrel for. And, but once they dump it, we go and 
quickly grab them and bring them back and put five-year-old rye into okay. them and then finish in there for typically, you know, a year to 18 months. And uh, it comes out, it's, it's just this beautiful toffee, chocolate, malty rye whiskey. I love those kind of collaborative processes between craft brewers and distilleries that take place where it's just, there's so many unique, like kind of cool that the same like circle of life type of things you can do like that. Yeah. And what's, you know, Maryland isn't like Kentucky. We don't have a bunch of distillers here. So when you were walking around today, most of the people you met were actually ex-brewers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they love, they love their beers still. And they love meeting and they, we do, we, you can't have enough friends in the industry. And so just having relationships is super important to us. Yeah. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, so one of the things I've been excited to try because I keep getting shown the um, Facebook ad for it is the Double Oak. Okay. And by the photo and the description, it sounds like something I will absolutely love. Uh, so I, wanted, I haven't gotten a chance to try it yet. I think, this, yeah, this is the double oak. Yep. I want to try this. And then can you explain what that process is? Because I think it's pretty cool and it, it's unique to, fairly unique to you guys, right? I, I think so. You don't, I don't know many folks the doing. is amazing. Exactly what we're, the type of barrels we're using, I would say. Double oak is not uncommon at all but like the barrel we're using is a bit different and if you look yeah at that's the, what i meant the, the 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 way you prep the barrel yeah and look look at the color on that compared to the others i mean it's spectacular oh yeah it's a night and day difference oh my gosh right and so so much darker since no one else is able to see <laughs> <laughs> so we distill two mash bills we distill one that's 95 percent rye five percent malted barley and we age that and then we distill one that's 52% rye, 43% corn, 5% malted barley, and we age that separately. And every product we make has both of those mash bills in it. And that way we get kind of this unique rye spice that we all want, right? The, the clove, the nutmeg, the cinnamon, that we expect those baking spices. That is so good. Oh, good. <laughs> like this. I mean, it, the descriptions are exactly what I taste. Nice, good. <laughs> and then... Um, but we love that, like what that 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 fifty-two percent rye brings in this kind of sweet fruit floralness to it, which Maryland was known as kind of this sweeter, more approachable rye whiskey. So we'll age those two um, ryes separately. We'll blend them together at a, 
a certain proportion, and then we'll put them back into another new American oak barrel. What's unique about this barrel is it's a wave stave barrel. So on the inside of the barrel, we actually cut grooves all the way down the inside of the staves. It creates about 23 to 25% more surface area for the whiskey to interact with the wood. And then we just do a heavy toast, light char one, and then do another 18 months in there. So about six and a half years total, and then proof it to 96.6 proof. And what that does, that second barrel brings out that color, that second layer of wood sugars, this kind of like toasted oakiness, like some beautiful like macaroon, citrus, baking spice, caramel. It pairs really good. One of my favorite things is backyard campfire and s'mores. So you get that kind of graham cracker, that chocolate, that, that toasted marshmallow pairs incredibly well with it. It's, it's really quite unique. You see multi-casks with bourbon and scotches. You don't see many with, with rye. The, the vanilla and caramel notes are so prevalent, and I love that. Like, that's what, like looking at the picture and it's saying what it was tasting like, that was like, I really hope that that's not just marketing. Because <laughs> there's so many times when yeah. you, like, you read a description of something and I try and I'm like, that is not what I taste. <laughs> this is one of those times where what it says it is, it is, and it's, that is absolutely delicious. Uh, we're really proud of that one. Uh, you know, that was interesting because it was really done under our reserve series originally. And our reserve series is a limited offering. And when it's done, it's done. But we fell in love with it. And we just had to, we had to figure it out, how to make it a permanent part of our core. And so originally the core was just our signature rye and our cash strength. And then it became that third diamond uh, just a few years ago. And now those are the three core products that we have. And it's been on fire. It's it's been selling really really well for us. Um, so at any given time, what it, how many different brands do you typically have? So is it this? That's not the full list now, right? What's here? You have more than that of. Well, it kind of varies. We have the three core products. So the signature, the double oak, and the cash drink you see there. Yeah. And then we typically have one reserve series in the market but it's always evolving so we have our eight year which we just dropped an eight-year-old rye whiskey 111.4 proof beautiful rye whiskey and then in the fall we'll be dropping our manhattan finish again for the first time since 2019 and folks are excited about this so the team had a tremendous amount of creativity behind the manhattan finish so we took basically four and a half five-year-old rye and finished that in cherry brandy barrels, vermouth barrels, and bitter barrels. And then we, we basically reconstruct the tasting notes that you would get from the Manhattan cocktail, but it's a rye whiskey. It's, last time it was 103 proof, so it's not like an actual cocktail. It's yeah. a rye whiskey, but it has that bright cherry, that herbaceousness. And so, so those, will, those kind of rotate throughout. You might, you, know, you might see some that are still out there. One we finished, our, which I love, our tequila finish, finishing extra uh, Anejo tequila barrels or a cognac. So there's some out there that you see, but those are, when they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. So if you see it, grab it while you can. Uh, there's no guarantees it comes back. We have a port finish that's available at the distillery, which we haven't done since 2019, which won world's best rye whiskey in San Francisco. And then at the, the distillery itself, we always try and have something available here. You can't get anywhere else. And that currently is the wood stove Oops. finish. Um, the Something like the Manhattan one, is that a, that sounds like it would be very difficult to pull off well. Is that a 
correct assumption? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And like I thought, it's just like you're barely, you have like so many very different barrels that. Yeah, this will be interesting because, and the team did an amazing job with the first release. So here comes the second release and there's a lot of anticipation behind it. People are excited about it and it might be a little bit different than the first one because the bitter barrels have aged that much longer. So there's some things to it in the net, you know, you went in the lab and you see how serious we take quality and how important that is to us. And so that product will probably not release until September, but I bet that product is in the lab already and they're starting to look at it yeah. and starting to try and evaluate it and trying to understand the different barrels and get their head wrapped around it. And so you just, these things don't come together overnight. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that was clear uh, talking to the guys in there that it, no decision is made lightly here. No. <laughs> there is, there's a lot of thought and purposefulness in sele every selection of w what you do. No, absolutely. And, and as we talked about earlier, too, it's, it's not on one person's shoulders. It's a team. It's a team effort. It's a panel. Um, we don't have a master distiller. We don't have a master blender. We believe it takes a team to bring these products to life. All right. The eight years, fantastic. Also <laughs> might be better than the double oak. <laughs> Good. What just has that, like that awesome, rye, I love that rye bite. Yeah. Of, that's, that's a, that's a big, bold rye. Yeah. That, and, that's definitely a big, you know, <laughs> big, bold we, one. Yeah. You get it up to 111 proof, eight years, which by the way, you know, the beauty of rye, it doesn't need as much time in the barrel as, as bourbon. Uh, rye tends to age faster than corn. And so you hit that eight year, you're in a real sweet spot on that one. I can see the legs dripping down yeah. the Glencairn on that, the oils, the mouthfeel on that, it's sensational. Are there um, like your typical stepping stone ages for rye, like where there are like the typical stopping points of aging there because bourbon it's what like 12 13 or 12 15 they do yeah you don't they, see many like 14 year olds yeah right like it's yeah, like it seems like, to be like, like, like steps they, they do i would say you know i mean one even though rye is the original american whiskey and it, and we were making rye before we were making bourbon in this country it's one of those things where there's just not rye is just when the, the boom started in, let's say, 2013, um, 2010, there wasn't, nobody had rye in the inventory. So we're all just finally getting around to kind of getting some age behind this product. A lot of folks, when you talk to like a Larry Ebersold, who was a master distiller at MGP, or Greg Metz, who was a master distiller at MGP, now with Old Elk, they'll talk about that sweet spot being five to seven, six to eight for a rye whiskey. Um, not that it can't be great at 13, but they it say often too, too much. It can be, it can be, you know, it depends where it is in the warehouse. Um, but, but that, that's based on 50 gallon barrels, right? Cause if you 53 use gallon, yeah. 53, cause if you use the 30, you can get away with shorter time period, correct? Or is that not always the case? We haven't done much with, um, barrels smaller than 53. Okay. What I hear, but I can't speak to it, is that in, in, in sense, it does help accelerate, right? What makes whiskey age is the contact with the wood, right? So if you, if you reduce the space and you increase the amount of wood per volume, 
you're going to increase the the yeah. aging in theory. But it also, I think you have to be careful to also not leave it in there too long because then it can pick up a lot of tannins and it can get this like tannic bite because it, it, there's just that much less yeah, space. That's a and, much and, different bite than the rye that you want. Yes, you right. Clawing at the <laughs> back of your jaw. That's a different type of bite yeah. for sure. So what the the wood stove is, and maybe it's because I went straight from a would you say it was a hundred and four proof to that? But like it's it's a um, the nose very very different, and it's definitely like a more um I don't think subdued the right <laughs> the right word. Um, it's a more. Um, I hate using the word smooth, but it's like a somewhat like a muddled, maybe a little bit more of the flavors. Yeah, I mean, you're jumping, you you jumped up to a 111.4 proof on the eight year, yeah. and then you jump back down to 92 proof. Yeah. And it's just, it's going to be definitely like a different experience. And where your palate was like, wow, I just went from something really big and bold to a lower ABV. And basically a finished whiskey, right? Yeah. And so now you're picking up some of that that malt, that that toffee, um, that dark chocolate that's coming through. This one is, I just think, fun and you know, is great, neat. It pairs really well with a cigar. This is this is a fun one for me. Yeah, I really I really like this. It this is um, definitely a very easy drinker. Like I would really enjoy that. Just like maybe even not over ice, just like this. Yeah. No, it's it's amazing. The beer finishes take more time, but if you have the patience, taking that sip right now and it just it's 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 explosive. So then we have the cast strength. Yeah, I'm definitely not going in the right order on these, am I? Kind of hopscotching, but that's okay. It's like taking my uh, taste buds on a roller coaster. It's a wild journey over there. (laughs) So, yeah, you went from 96.6 proof, then you jumped over to 111.4, then down to 92, and you're now back to probably about 112, 113. Yeah, (laughs) 112.2. So our cash strength is, I think, one of the best values out on the market. It is a four to seven year old rye with a bulk of it being seven year old, typically around 112 or so proof. And, you know, in Maryland, you can find it on the shelf for $59. And I think it, it's great neat. It's great on the rocks. It's, if you like a spirit forward cocktail, like an old fashioned Manhattan. I was like, just going to say, this would be absolutely fantastic. And, yeah, uh, it punches through um, and just brings such a balance to, to cocktails. So. On Fridays, like today, when I go home, that will be uh, that will be how I'll make my Manhattan. I'll start with a cash drink Manhattan, and it's just kind of it just punches right through. I love the balance that it brings to it. It's a beautiful whiskey. I um that that would be amazing in an old fashioned. Yeah, that. yeah. The sweet the balance of sweet and spice is incredible. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours 
tastings, and classes, come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. Great beer starts with great ingredients. At Havoc Brewing Supply, they offer a wide selection of premium hops, fruit purees, malt, cleaning supplies, and more. Their family-owned business is dedicated to helping you create the perfect beer. Havoc offers flexible contracts, lightning-fast shipping, and unrivaled customer service. Join the Havoc Brewing Supply family and elevate your brewing game. Shop small, brew big, grow together. Visit HavocBrewingSupply.com today to learn more. So was the the proofing of um, the signature rye at 83... Was that to make it more approachable? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when we look at, historically, rye whiskeys in Maryland, they were 80 or 86 proof. Okay. And so, and to be a a Maryland rye, we really wanted to try and get as close to that as possible. Like, Maryland was known as a a sweeter, more approachable rye whiskey, but yet had... Following that up from 112... It's like drinking a flavorful water. <laughs> like there's, there's yeah. not even a hint of burn. It's yeah. <laughs> like yeah, you are definitely like I have like you. Normally people go left to right. You went right to left, yeah. which is cool. Like that's your th- you know that works for you. You know, but it is like it is like it. It's now if you'd started there, you would have been like wow. Like there's a ton, a ton of flavor to this. And, well, no, and I'm like I'm like, getting all the flavor yeah. and stuff, but I'm but not getting like, any of the burn no. at all. <laughs> and that's what we wanted. We didn't want. We knew people were kind of newer to whiskey. There's a lot of folks newer to whiskey, and especially rye whiskey. And so, one, we wanted to make something that was very approachable. Two, historically, Maryland was known as as a sweeter, more approachable rye, 80 to 86 proof. So we split it right down the middle. And then this one is extremely versatile, right? It goes from it's great neat it's great on a big cube and it still has enough backbone to stand up in an old-fashioned manhattan sazerac mule whatever you're into uh and so that's why you basically you see 67 percent of our our sales come from this product um what is your personal thought on whiskey cocktails do you prefer the higher proof or lower proof in them uh i I'm all no. I have you no. You just want whiskey. Yes, in it. <laughs> <laughs> whiskey, please. Um, no, I, I, I really, you know, everyone's like, "What's your favorite? Do you like high proof, low proof?" I appreciate all of them. I think yeah. that's one of the things I, I, working here has given me the ability to see the beauty in each one, and so no. Uh, and I typically like a couple of cocktails. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And so. Lower ABV helps me with that versus I, a high ABV. <laughs> I had that problem the other night where like I had one, although I make them doubles. Um, <laughs> and when I was done, I was like, I shouldn't have any more, but I really wanted more. <laughs> and then I, I regretted it the next day. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was maybe a little bit much for a Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah. I always say, you know, Drink responsibly because you always want to have another one someday yeah. down the road, right? That it. That that I asked that because it's it's something I've been trying to figure out for myself, and I can't decide. I I don't think I have a preference either. And what even just got into my head is that there's a um, cocktail Instagrammer that I watch that I thoroughly enjoy, and every time he makes a whiskey based cocktail, he always emphasizes to use something at the very least. 90 proof, preferably 100 and above. I think I know so, who you're talking about. Though a thirsty whale? Yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> it. Like, that is one of the best Instagram accounts. For sure. Um, 
in like so like I I have that voice in my head, but like I, I for my personal preference, I don't think I care. Yeah, for me, like the beauty of making cocktails at home is you can adjust, right? Yeah. And so when I use our 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 straight rye at eighty three proof, I just tend to cut back a little bit on vermouth or whatever it may be, and so the whiskey still shines. Like I don't have to do the ratios they always say to do. Um, you know, I don't mind sweet, but I don't like overly sweet. So I, I typically, if it says one ounce, I'll do three quarters. Things along those lines. I also, I ha- we have our signature at 83 proof. We have our cask, usually 112. If you want to, you can do one ounce of the straight rye at 83 and one ounce of the cask at 112, and you typically land around about 95. And so <laughs> like, the beauty of the two whiskeys is I had, kind of have three whiskeys, if yeah. you will. <laughs> you, can, you can get to where you yeah. need to be. <laughs> what do you want to do today? And if you really want to enjoy sipping some signature, get some cast strength. Take a sip of that first. Assault your taste buds <laughs> and your your uh, esophagus, and then the the signature goes down <laughs> delicious, like deliciously flavored, but is easy as drinking water. <laughs> it's, it is, uh, it, yeah, definitely. If you start up and come down like that, it's just like, wow, this is totally doable. Yeah. <laughs> this would be way too easy to drink. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about you now. What is your background and how did you end up part of the Sagamore team? Oh, I didn't know we'd go there. Um, well, I mean, we don't need to. No. But, yeah. <laughs> um, I think I did specifically say in the email that I would ask that. I should have read the email. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, no, I think it's always interesting because people assume you come from a background of whiskey making or something yeah. along those lines. And I do not. Uh, I came before this. I owned a tour company in Flagstaff, Arizona. And we did backpacking and kayaking tours of the Grand Canyon, Yosemite, Southern Utah, and so forth. And did that for about 14 years. And it was really a great experience. And so, and then I had an outdoor kind of store in Flagstaff. We sold camping gear and we had a ski rental shop, snowboard rental shop with my partner, Michael. And uh, so that's kind of the background I, I have. So... When I got the call from the other folks involved here, uh, Kevin and Bill, I knew those guys from way back when we were young. And they had the vision for this place, but they were looking for somebody with the entrepreneurial background and kind of knew how to start businesses and get them off the ground and kind of take a concept and bring it to life. And so I was happy to volunteer for that and uh, sold the businesses in Arizona uh, to one of the first guys I ever hired, and he's still going at it, oh, doing awesome. great, which is so cool. And moved the family back to Maryland, and we started this. And I say we started this; it wasn't just me. I mean, this is this is a big undertaking, and there's a lot of people here who played incredibly important hey, roles. You introduced me to someone who's here, someone else that was here on day one. Yeah, or- yeah, AJ, and and there's a lot of folks here that were on day one, and. They were kind enough to take, you know, a risk. You know, it's just like there's a concept here, there's a vision, but there's no proven concept yet, right? And we hadn't, we hadn't sold a product yet, we hadn't taken anybody on a tour yet, 
but uh, you know everybody put everything they had into it, and it it seems to be working. I know the move is cash strength, then the double oak. That's the that is the move. <laughs> I'll so, try that tonight. <laughs> so when when you're at the store or if you're at the distiller, get a bottle of each. Just take a swig of the cash strength, and then um, your uh, double oak neat goes down dangerously smooth and the flavors are still amazing <laughs> i love it i love it um but i mean the the way you said that you you kind of said it as a negative of not having a background in distilling but i don't i think it's more important especially now that in pretty much any alcohol business that there is an extremely strong business acumen because there are, well, I mean, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances now why places are closing. But over the past few years, there were a lot of places that made a good product, but they, they weren't able to survive because the owners really only had a background in making that, that alcohol. They didn't really have the business sense or the experience of running a business where, yeah, a big part of a distillery or a brewery is making beer and spirits, but it's also running a business. Yeah. At the end of the day, we got to make money, yeah. right? And, and I mean, like those previous businesses were very hospitality type. And I mean, that's also a huge part of this industry. So it, I, I think that experience is absolutely like very applicable to a distillery you can hire the people yes. to make yes. a great product absolutely and i mean we have a whole department here called hospitality um and you know everything matters um and i didn't mean to make it out like i like i regret my background i i i, I love the background yeah. i love the fact that i got to walk the grand canyon for 14 15 years straight and so but what I did is definitely hired people who knew what they were doing and had much more experience, much more knowledge than I did and, uh, and empowered them to make the decisions. And, and, and again, it takes a team, it really does. And we were very, very lucky though, on day one to bring on Larry Ebersold, who was the master distiller at MGP for 25 years, worked there for over 30 years. I call him the godfather of rye whiskey. He's made more rye whiskey than anybody in the world. He has a little bit of experience. A little bit of experience. <laughs> and what he loved about it on day one, he goes, oh, it's." he's like, oh, I love the fact that you've never distilled anything before. He goes, because now I don't have to break all your bad habits. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, they it's true. don't have true. to tell you everything yeah, you're, it's just you like, think is wrong. Yeah, I know you think you know everything, but <laughs> most of that's wrong. And so I was fortunate enough not to know anything, so I didn't know I just, you know, you just, I was, I was very, very lucky and, you know, he's still part of the project today and a close friend. And it's just one of those things when you just get that lucky to be in the presence of someone like that, you just listen and, and do as you're told. That double work is so good. <laughs> you were looking forward to that. It yeah, lived was, up to its it expectations. It, did. it didn't, good. it did not disappoint. There's <laughs> nothing worse than when I, like I read the description of it and fall in love with it before I try. And I try, I'm like, Oh man, but that, that lived up to what I had built it to in my head. Awesome. <laughs> That's great to hear. Love that. How long have you been doing the ready to drinks? Mm, 
So launched that product in August of 21, just here at the distillery. And so, but we spent 18 months bringing that to life. Again, kind of going back to quality and, and really making sure we're doing something that we make sense for our business. Yeah. And so we were very lucky to work with a group here in Baltimore, amazing group of people, Cane uh, Collective. And Cane Collective is some of the greatest bartenders, mixologists in the world, and now have their own business where they make uh, different types of mixers and so forth. And really just kind of came to them and said, we want to make a premium canned cocktail that highlights the whiskey, shows the versatility of it, and is yet crushable, you know, yeah. kind of thing, like very drinkable. Uh, we don't like overly sweet things. And we spent 18 months with them kind of going back and forth on all the different type of recipes we could do. We're not bartenders here. And so, well, actually now in 1909, we do have some really great bartenders, but I'm no bartender. Yeah. And so they helped us bring it to life. And then we went down and, you know, overall, just spending 12 months conceptualizing them. What do we want to do? Then going back and forth and working with the different flavor house and bringing it to life takes a long time. You just can't rush these to market. And I think the team's done, again, an amazing job highlighting the versatility of rye whiskey. These things are really are premium. They're made with aged whiskey. It's two to four-year-old rye whiskey in there, which is kind of unheard of. Like most people want to take white dog, six-month-old whiskey. Yeah. We're using really aged whiskey in here. It's, it's all natural organic ingredients. You can pronounce all the ingredients actually <laughs> in the label. And, um, you know, again, showing the versatility of it, we have a, uh, a honey paloma, which is typically a tequila cocktail. We have a pineapple rigarita, which again, is typically uh, a tequila cocktail. Uh, we have uh, a lemon tea fizz. We've got a ginger and rye. Uh, we have so many different kind of variations of it. And these things are really taking off and really kind of putting us in a conversation that we wouldn't normally be part of. You know, no one is taking, and no, nor should they, take a 750 of Sagamore Rye out of the golf course. Right? <laughs> but, like, but you can take a couple definitely of these out of the, the golf year. course. or like, yeah, <laughs> Definitely not the eight-year if you plan to do nine <laughs> holes, no less 18. Uh, but, like, you know, putting us in a tailgate, putting us in boating, beach, pool, uh, whatever it may be. And it really kind of complements the product itself, shows people that maybe normally might be intimidated by rye whiskey, actually try it and they go, my God, these are great. I can totally drink these. The Orange Crush is really taken off, obviously being a local uh, cocktail. And we're going to even have an Orange Crush week dedicated just to this cocktail in May. And so we'll do all things Orange Crush. Uh, and that one is, I, I wasn't sure we could pull that off in a can, but I'll be damned. It's pretty damn good, man. The night brunch punch sounds good too. Oh yeah, the watermelon sour. <laughs> yeah, the night brunch punch is phenomenal, and that's only available at the distillery. What is the shelf life on one of those? Minimum one year. Oh wow, that, that yep. They actually, they are stable much longer than I thought they would be. I think that's the beauty of whiskey. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> so, of its own preservative. Yeah, <laughs> so. Uh, and that's again, you know, one of these things. Why did you just start at the distillery? Why didn't you go nationwide? These are all the things when it comes to quality and quality assurance is like, let's start at the distillery. Let's see how things go. 
Let's evaluate it and understand the product before we go national. Well, I guess you're you're using all stable flavors too, yes. so that yeah. that adds right. I might like a pineapple doesn't that flavor is not going to degrade after over time. No, so. no. I mean, what what really is at the end of the day is over time you might lose coloring of of, of the pineapple or things yeah. like that. But it's 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 minor stuff. But um, luckily, these things move much faster than a year. Yeah. Um, and so, but again, we spent a year just kind of making sure we understood the product before we went national. And this year is the first year that we're actually going national with them. We have a variety pack where you get two lemon tea fizz, two honey paloma, and two pineapple ragaritas. So these things are taking off like wildfire. Do you see that to be a ever-growing trend? Because, I mean, from anything I really like, trade things I read, like the what craft beer has to worry about. It's always ready to drink canned cocktails are the next up. Like they're kind of poised to replace the seltzer craze of a, a few years ago. That's exactly what we're seeing is, is people are trading out a seltzer into these and trading out a craft beer into these. And so I think these are here to stay without a doubt. I don't think the category will be as busy as it is today. You know, you have over 3,000 distilleries just in this country alone. And a lot are starting to put these out. And there's only, in the liquor stores you see, the shelves are still the same size. So there's yeah. only so much room. But what we're seeing right now is is tequila and vodka have kind of made a name for themselves. No one's done anything really with whiskey. And so here we are with aged rye whiskey, natural organic ingredients, complex flavors, like really beautiful, like just amazing cocktails of just diverse backgrounds and so forth. So um, whether you like grapefruit, lemon, um, pineapple, like there's something for everybody, ginger. And so these are definitely here to stay. Uh, I do think the category will eventually experience a shakeout like most things. And those that, that get across the finish line will stay. Those are actually cheaper than I would have expected them to be. It's a good value too. <laughs> yeah, we try, you know, we ask for, typically we try and get them about $15 on the shelf for yeah. a four pack. Um, and, you know, we're talking anywhere from seven to 9% ABV. So um, it's cheaper than buying a cocktail. At a yeah. So be sitting down and enjoy them <laughs> responsibly. Take them on the golf course. That's right. <laughs> Around hole 16. <laughs> so um, you've, you've mentioned, uh, you started out uh, using MGP, and is, I mean, I guess that kind of just starts with where you had already mentioned your philosophy was to be laser focused on rye. So you you couldn't open uh, if you if you didn't want to do other spirits, you couldn't like most other distilleries will start out with vodkas and gins and things. So, but but if you want to be just a rye distillery, you can't obviously open with a. a a five year or, or any year rye whiskey. It's, 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 a, it's a tough business as is. Yeah. And like the worst business plan is spend four years building your distillery and then five years aging a product and nine, 10 years later, correct revenue dollar yeah. one. <laughs> so that's exactly right. So we did, we were laser focused on rye because the history of distilling rye whiskey in Maryland. And so we were fortunate enough with Larry's help to build that partnership out with MGP who makes a, a great product. And so we didn't want to come to the market and sell you, hey, Maryland has this great history of making rye whiskey. In the meantime, here is my vodka. 
And so not that there's anything wrong with that. It just wasn't in our business plan. Yeah. And so we've used them, uh, you know, and we stopped partnering with them in late 2016, early 2017, when we opened our distillery. And our products now are close to 50% our make. And, you know, depends on the product. You know, like I said, cash rank is a lot of seven-year-old rye in that. Um, let's just say another 18 months, but anywhere from anywhere from nine to 18 months, basically all of our products will become 100% Maryland distilled, Maryland aged. So one thing I, had, I, I didn't realize and I learned when I started interviewing distilleries is that like a, the eight year bottle will actually be, there will be some younger stuff blended in too, like to get that. What's the ratio that has to be to call it that, that year? There can't be anything younger than eight. Oh, okay. Yeah. So to oh, be, I thought it, I thought there were younger ones blended. There should not be. Oh, so if it, oh, okay. So maybe I misunderstood. <laughs> so, yeah. so if it has a year statement on it, you're it's as, all that. You're only as old as the youngest whiskey in it. Okay. Okay. So, Good. Then oh, I, 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 I misunderstood what was said. And then. So an eight year could have 10 year in it. Okay. Uh, but you're, if it's a blend of eight and 10. It has to be called it eight. It's eight. Okay. Um, or you put on like like our our cash rank is a blend of four and seven. Okay. And like I said, seventy percent of it's probably seven. Um, so, but on the back label, we'll say it's a blend of four to seven. Okay. Yeah. So like then the the double oak is six plus. So it, yeah, it's at minimum <laughs> six years in it. But there's old, or, some there could be some older stuff blended into it. Yeah, the wave state barrels typically are eighteen months, but some have gone twenty months or so. Okay. So then that ends up putting you close to seven years, but. So we'll just say six plus. And that's just based on when you're trying the barrel, like this needs a little bit more time so it could go longer. Yeah, depending on the floor of the rickhouse. Okay. So like the top floor where we see 125, 130 Fahrenheit in the summer is crazy hot. Um, those things seem to accelerate in aging. Bottom floor, not so much. So it just kind of depends on it where it okay. sits in the rickhouse. Do, um, do they get <laughs> rotated through, or is it once it's put in its spot, it, that's where it's at? Yeah, where that's it where it sits. So um, safety is our number one priority for our team, and moving those barrels is where people often can get hurt. They're 540 pounds yeah. when they're filled, and so when they're you start rolling them down the warehouse or wherever they may be, they don't have brakes. They don't have anything. They don't stop until they hit something, and so moving them – is just a lot more time and labor, which eventually ends up in the price of a, of a yeah. product on the shelf and is just dangerous. And so I think our team is really great at understanding the flavors that they get out of the barrels at different floors in the rickhouse. So when we go blend something, it's not gonna come from one floor. It's gonna come from multiple floors. And, and they understand what they're getting on floor one, two, three, four, five, and six. That, um that's going to take so much knowledge for <laughs> the, the blending process of like that, just even just knowing like, like that if I, if I grab so many barrels from each floor, I'm probably going to hit the, the flavor I want and then narrowing it down to like that, that whole process in my mind just sounds so complex. I, I can't even fathom how it, how it's done. Well, you saw the sensory lab and yeah. you saw the sensory booths and we have, 
tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, points of data. And we're only been doing this, we're super young. And our goal is to learn as much as humanly possible. And that's why we do so many t different types of experiments and collect so much data. And that we have those sensory booths in there and everybody's recording everything. And we're, we're monitoring everything from new make to one-year-old to two-year-old to five-year-old, whatever it may be, and just collecting as much of that information as possible. So you had mentioned that um, by floor, there are differences on how it ages. Is, th is it also different between the different workhouses you have? Because they're not all in the same area, right? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, we have some that are only one floor. Um, we have some that are five floors and some that are six floors. So it can definitely vary. And it, aging also... See, now in my mind, it just became even more impossible. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll throw one more thing at you. A 95.5 rye and a 52 rye will age differently. And so, <laughs> yeah, there's so many variables. And again, but we got a team dedicated every day to monitoring that and, doing, and their job is to understand that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if that's what you like, that's what you do, and that's what you, like, yeah. it, it's a lot easier than it is in my mind of being impossible. You saw Eli. <laughs> yeah. Eli spends every waking moment of the day here. Um, mon I mean, it, it's that lab counter is constantly full of product, constantly full of different products and distillate and different ages, different floors, different warehouses, different mash bills constantly saying collect data points and then we put it in those sensory booths and you could have four five six teammates come through and they're going to go ahead and, and and evaluate that and provide those data points and we just we monitor everything build it out in power bi and just what do we want to know what is out there what do we want to better understand and again we're very young in this industry we're not 100 we're not 50 years old we're not 25 yeah. years old nothing like that and so our job is just to try and learn as much as humanly possible. That, that was one of the things I always um, found uh, to be interesting with the distilling industry as opposed to the craft brewing where like craft breweries were going up against huge companies that made an inferior, somewhat inferior product, not, like, not as flavorful, not as good. In distilling, you can't buy, get by just saying I'm a craft distillery because the big guys are making very good products and yeah. what people want. So you're, you're David <laughs> battling a, a well-established Goliath that. Yeah. Maybe five Goliaths. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, it's so true and their scale, they make great products. They've been doing it for a hundred, 150 years. So they've got a lot of age behind it and they've got, endless amounts of inventory choices and their scales of economy are just drastically different than ours right so their cost per unit output we just can't even com yeah. come close to competing against and so you have to make something that's unique and different you have to have a great story and people i think it even comes down to your values these days you know and um people want to know more than just like what your product is and that, like we're very transparent on everything we do there isn't anything we won't share with you and hopefully that's enough people say it's a great product they have a great story they care about what they do and i'm aligned with their values and 
if that's the case, maybe they'll spend five more dollars at the shelf to support us, which is, means a lot to us. How large is your distribution footprint? So this is a big year. So obviously 2020 was a unique year and we really kind of played defense all of 2020 and most of 2021 and 2022 kind of came back on offense. And this year we're coming out swinging and we're finally officially uh, all 50 states and 11 countries. So wide. Yeah, <laughs> fairly wide. <laughs> um, is that um, the international market, is that an ever-growing like, demand for American spirits or has that always been there? No, it's it's fairly new. Okay. So it's it's taking like the demand is there, but there's a tremendous amount of education that needs to go with it, especially when it comes to rye whiskey. So we're in um, Taiwan, Korea, Japan, China, Hong Kong, and they love whiskey there, Scotch whiskey. Okay. And they want to get, and they're very intrigued by American whiskey, but there needs to be an educational component to it. And there's, that's no different than even really the UK or Germany. Um, and, and even in the United States, there's an educational component that needs to go with everything. Like, who are you? What's your brand? What's, your, what's unique about your products? What makes them different? What is rye whiskey? And so, you know, Canada is one of the few where they like, oh, we know rye whiskey. <laughs> so <laughs> so that was a, that's a good market for us. Um, Asia is a good market with a tremendous amount of upside. It's, it's, a, it's wild what can go on there. UK is an amazing market, but really challenging. That's, to, to me, London is just no different than New York, Chicago, LA. It's a tremendous amount of competition, but um, a great market to be in. Are they more uh, loyal to like Scotch and Irish whiskey? Is, is that something that's Internationally, to... yes, okay. Okay. especially Scotch. Like all they know is Scotch. And as a matter of fact, it's disgusting, which <laughs> I forget. Uh, I forget. Um, maybe it was like Max Shapiro at, at Heaven Hill. Somebody basically had this quote and I forget the exact. But if one out of every 30 Scotch drinkers internationally switched to American whiskey tomorrow, we'd be out. The entire globe would be out of American whiskey tomorrow. Oh, wow. <laughs> basically. And it's just like that's how much Scotch is, dominates the globe. And, uh, but that also goes to show you how much upside there is for American whiskey down the road. Yeah. I mean, once people try it and realize how gross scotch is, then <laughs> and, and one I'm thing, just really, really adverse to <laughs> peaty, smoky flavors <laughs> in a, in a liquid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're not the only one out there, but there's a lot of people who are not. Yeah. And so, but, uh, you know, data shows. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. But our priority will always be our backyard in, in the States. So if, if, you know, God forbid things really take off, um, we'll always make sure that we can we can service our backyard first. Is Maryland still your number one market? Yes, but I'm hoping that changes this year. No offense, Maryland, but like... Well, Maryland's small. It shouldn't be our number one <laughs> yeah. market, right? Like, <laughs> but, it's, but it's also not a big but, state. <laughs> yeah, but Maryland's been so good to yeah. us. We're in, and it's a very, it's a dead heat between California, Texas, and Florida. Oh, wow. I didn't... After that. I wonder, I wonder what the allure to... Maryland rye is to Texans and Californians, oh, other Texas than it drinks, just being good. Texas drinks a tremendous amount of whiskey, and then oh. you know you look at you look at some of these states. There are thirty three million people compared to our six million. So yes, there's there's a lot just, of people there. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just like there's some big numbers. Yeah. yeah, and New York's actually in there too. So it's 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 a 
it's a dead heat in, in Maryland is, is kind of saddens me, but could and should be a, a number four here in another year or two. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we just don't have the numbers to keep up. Yeah, we're I mean, six as million. Much, in the, as much as we try, we're not. <laughs> and that includes children, and so we don't yeah. need children involved in this. <laughs> yeah. So, But, Marilyn, thank you for everything you've done for us and supported us all the way through. We would not be where we are today without you, and I, I will will always cherish Marilyn, and, and that's why we have distillery-only exclusive products here and, and make sure Marilyn always gets everything first. Um, and w- one more quick question. What is the difference between Mongahela rye and Maryland rye? So, Monongahela rye is also kind of known as Pennsylvania rye. And so, the, the two-minute pitch of that is, you know, Maryland history dis- distilling goes back 15, 1600s. Really just rum at the time. And then we had the Molasses Tax Act of 1733 where we start getting hit with taxes and tariffs on the, the sugars coming out of the British West Indies. And Baltimore and the Inner Harbor being the second largest site for immigration, we had a tremendous amount of people from Germany, Poland, Scotland, Ireland, and so did Pennsylvania that knew how to already distill grain-based type products. And so that's when we switched over from basically taking all that rye in the, the tobacco field and switching over to really just whiskey making for the most part you fast forward, obviously we have a little something called the Revolutionary War. Come out of that $54 million in debt. Good way to pay down that debt, according to the government, is to raise the excise taxes on the government, excuse me, distilleries. And so you start having the, the, the rumblings of the Whiskey Rebellion. Families like Marion Jacob Beam and Basil Hayden leave Maryland and move to places that weren't developed, but eventually in 1792 called Kentucky. And what you really kind of see, you know, luckily the peaceful, the the Whiskey Rebellion ends peacefully and then flourishing just takes off between Pennsylvania, Maryland, Kentucky. And what you really see is resourceful people and what they have access to as far as raw materials. And you had rye grows really well in cold weather. So up in Pittsburgh area and so forth, rye grew really well. Maryland's in this really great transitional zone where we can grow rye and corn. And then Kentucky can grow corn really well yeah and so Monagahela was a hundred percent rye typically 95 100 percent rye mash bill so big bold beautiful rye whiskey you're definitely from maryland or below the mason dixon yeah for sure <laughs> it's so, Monongahela. Monongahela. <laughs> so, if you want to pronounce it incorrectly it's I, Mon- I like de- everyone there says <laughs> i needed that <laughs> and it's definitely and everybody anytime anybody sees that word come up on a powerpoint they're like what's that word <laughs> and so it's just like don't touch it it's a big one and uh and then maryland just grew it had the ability to have access to rye and corn and so we just happened to have that little kind of sweeter mash bill Okay. Do that corn flavoring. So it's the ratio, like yep. what what's added, and it's the mash bills. Okay. Yep. And basically, Mar- you know, Maryland had a little bit sweeter rye mash bill, and Pennsylvania had a, a bigger, bolder, spicier um, mash bill. Okay. Is historically my understanding of, and seems to be the theme people agree on. I mean, it <laughs> it, it sounds uh, accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Sold. And, all right, so I, I typically end every episode asking a bunch of stupid questions, but since we're short on time, I'm just going to ask one stupid question, or two, because these are the two most important ones. Oh, man. Who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate? A uh, ninja. That's wrong. Who would... I mean, it, it's <laughs> definitely wrong. 
Um, does pineapple belong Damn. on a pizza? Yes. It's also wrong. Damn. Um, Give me another one. <laughs> well, okay, one more. What, what's the best color of Starburst? If you don't agree on this one, we're going to have huge issues. <laughs> Can I pick two? Yeah, because they're, they're similar. Pink, Pink red. red. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And you, right. now, thank God, they all, uh, they have you can buy the bags yeah, with just, just those two flavors. Yeah. Well, because I know no one wants like yellow. <laughs> oh, like, we've had, I've, actually, I've had one person on that their favorite was yellow, and I don't know what their problem is. They can come to my mania. desk. I have a drawer full of yellows. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Brian. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, thank you for the tour. I really enjoyed it. Uh, this place is beautiful. Uh, where do people stay up to date with what's going on at Sagamore? Um, yeah, you know, obviously our website, sagamorespirit.com. Following us on the social handles at Sagamore Spirit is great. And then definitely, definitely sign up to become a whiskey thief. Whiskey thieves um, are a, kind of our extended family, if you will. And so they're the first ones to know about any type of event. They get access to special events only. They get ac first access to special releases in case they sell out. We'll make sure they get it first. You'll know about the Manhattan Project. Yep, you'll know about the Manhattan Project. If we do a whiskey dinner at Sagamore Farm, uh, which is a lot of people like, it's only going to go out to the whiskey thieves. So definitely go out, sign up, become a whiskey thief, and then you'll be in the know. And I think that just pops up when you go on the website. I mean, there's a link to it, but I'm pretty sure you get a pop-up to uh, join. That would, that would feel right, some sort of like in-your-face marketing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's how I first saw it. but there's definitely like an easy navigation to it from the website. It's not hard to find, yeah. so just look a little bit. We don't sell your stuff. We don't inundate you. We only share yeah. what, when we think it's relevant. Uh, that's it. Once again, thank you so much, uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Thank you. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.